Well, I'm going to give you a, a brief question, a discussion question this morning. Okay, and the discussion question is, what is the greatest gift you ever gave or received? And if you're getting stuck, you know, some people it's like, oh, it has to be the greatest, if it's really a great one and you remember that, you know, that you gave or received. And what made it so special? Okay, so I want you to just turn around or move to where somebody is, you know, groups of three or four. You've got about three minutes to just briefly share your responses to that. Okay, mm, introduce yourself, take a moment to do that, okay, and then go for it. Ready? Huddle up there. One, there we go, all right. There's a lot of excitement there. I wish I knew what all those gifts were, but... Uh, I believe we're going to be going into Exodus 18, and I believe that it features the greatest gift in the book of Exodus. So I want you to listen for it. We're going to read that, and I wonder if you can catch what the greatest gift in this chapter is. Exodus 18. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and his and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Now listen to me, and I will give you some advice, 
and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people. Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, they served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Hmm. What is the best gift in this chapter? You know, Moses having his family, his wife and kids back with him? Uh, was it having a supportive father-in-law? Was it the practical wisdom that he got to keep from burning out? Was it when he said, goodbye, father-in-law, and the in-laws left? I don't know. Now, these may be great gifts, to be sure, but there is something even better waiting for us to discover. Now, we live in a culture that is hungry for windows into the private lives of high-profile people, right? So many, contemp many contemporary readers might find these windows into Moses' family life and his work life, I mean, they're personal and appealing. The story of how Jethro helped his, his son-in-law Moses break free from his workaholic ways seems especially relevant for people struggling to find a, a work-life balance. Yet in other ways, a chapter devoted to Moses' personal life seems out of a place in a book that has featured a huge Jewish Lives Matter movement. Moses and Aaron speaking truth to power, deadly plagues, powerful rescues, hostile protesters taking on their prime minister. Now, given these features, one would expect the storyline to go, you know, straight to the thunder and lightning and smoke show on Mount Sinai that happens next. Moses' personal stories kind of pale in comparison to, to Israel's dramatic rescue from Egypt and God's giving of the law on Mount Sinai, Right? So let's take a deeper dive into what's going on beneath the surface. Let's begin with the family reunion in the first 12 verses. Uh, Jethro, the priest of Midian and Moses' father-in-law, has heard what God has done for Moses and his people. Now, according to Exodus 4, verse 20, Moses had taken his wife and sons along with him to Egypt when he had first gone back. So how, we might wonder, can they now be coming with, their father, with his father-in-law Jethro to this family reunion. And, of course, verse 2 knows we might anticipate this question, and it explains that Moses had sent them back. 
possibly when the contest with Pharaoh was growing most fierce and he, threw, and he was concerned for their safety. Or possibly, maybe after the parting of the Red Sea. And uh, maybe he had sent them back to deliver the good news to Jethro about what had God had done. I mean, after all, there's no email or phone calls in this time, right? It would have been a long time. He had sent them off back to Egypt and waiting for an answer. Well, the main features highlighted in this family reunion are the names of Moses' sons and the significance attached to them. Now, we've met Moses' son Gershom before. Uh, He was probably called a foreigner there as Moses' way of saying that the place he, Moses, had been born and raised, Egypt, had become a foreign land to him. And Midian had become his new home. When Zipporah and them had first seen, they had said, this, they told their father-in-law Jethro, this Egyptian was at the well and he helped us. And I think Moses is saying, that's not my home. That is, I have a new identity, a new place. And his son Eliezer means my God, almost like Ebenezer, but Eben means stone in Hebrew. Eli means uh, my father's, God is my helper. And he bears witness to how God had saved Moses from the sword of Pharaoh. Now that was a great gift, right? Not only saved him at birth, right? But saved him again when he had gone to challenge Pharaoh. And his sons then are, I think their names are brought out because these sons are living reminders not only to Moses and Zipporah and the family, they're living reminders to to Israel as a whole of God's faithfulness to them as well. Now, the rest of the family reunion features Moses greeting and meeting with his father-in-law and telling him, it says, firsthand, everything the Lord had done. And notice he doesn't just talk about all the hallelujahs, we might say. It also says he talked about all the hardships. I think that gives us a window. This is a heart-to-heart conversation. He is open about that, and there's been some hardships that he's experienced. But the bottom line is, and how the Lord had saved them. Notice Jethro's response. It's the most detailed part of the family reunion, and it grabs the spotlight. Notice he was not only delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them. In verse 10, he also says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. That, that last line, is in fact a standard confession of faith in the Old Testament. It really is. And I think it is, now some think, this is Jethro's conversion. He has become a believer in the God of Israel. And it may well be that moment. Or it could also be a confirmation for him that the Lord is God. Maybe his faith has been deepened, enriched, expanded by the good news that Moses has shared with him. This moment in this chapter, I would suggest, is the high point, the climax of the story of Exodus to this point. Not the plagues, not the parting of the Red Sea, not the miracles of the manna and water from a rock in the wilderness, but this moment. 
And I think it's the climax of the story because we see God's great purpose for the Exodus being fulfilled here. You remember God's vision and purpose for the Exodus was not only to rescue his beloved people from slavery, and of course to bring them to a new life in a new land with him, and it clearly was that. That is definitely one of God's purposes. But the other larger stated and often repeated goal and purpose was that everyone, the Egyptians and the other nations, would know that there is no God like me in all the earth, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. There are many references, but it really comes out in chapter 9. And so it is worth pointing out also that this word translated proclaimed in, in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 16, it's the same word where Moses now in chapter 18, and he told his father-in-law everything. Same word. You could say he proclaimed the good news, the gospel to his father-in-law. You see, this is the mission that God had given to his people. To share the good news, that is the news of what God had done. To proclaim and tell the whole world everything God had done so that others would know, love and serve the Lord too. That's the goal. And this is why what Jethro says and does in response to this good news that he has heard, this is why it is so important and I believe climactic. See, because in Hebrew narrative, when Hebrews tell the story, you know, they didn't have a movie camera that could zoom in or, or a highlighter that says, this is really important. They did, but their way of doing it was, what does a person say and what does a person do? That's when the camera zooms in. You always need to be watching for that. You listen for that because now you're getting insight into who they really are and the most important parts of the story. And so God rescued Israel from Egypt so that his name might be proclaimed among the nations. And now his name is famous among the nations. The nations? We might wonder, but you know, Pastor Dave, Jethro's only one person, right? And now maybe he's even, you know, one part of one family. But in the opening verse of the chapter, did you catch how Jethro was first introduced? He was the priest of Midian. That's the first way that he's introduced. That means likely the way it in Hebrew is just priest of Midian. Probably means he's high priest. He's the spiritual leader of the Midianites. So Moses is wearing a hat. Not only a personal hat, you know, their father-in-law. But each of these great leaders are wearing also, if you will, the hat of their nation. And zooming out a bit, we begin to see that Jethro's response is actually presented against the backdrop of other nations. Compare how other nations have responded. In, in Exodus 15, the great song, the victory song, it said that the nations, and it lists a whole bunch of them, are, are trembling at what God has done. And in the previous chapter that we looked at last time, the Amalekites, they have responded with barbaric hostility to God and his people. 
And so compared to them, now this next chapter, we have Jethro the Midianite. How does this nation respond? And it is really amazing against the comparison of that. And as I noted earlier, the Lord is greater than all the other gods. That's the Old Testament version of the New Testament confession of faith. You know what the New Testament confession of faith is? 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, meaning Jesus is Lord God. He's God, and also he's my Lord, that he's the Lord of my life. That's the New Testament confession. But if you look in the Old Testament, the Old Testament version was that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. No competitors. And notice, so he is giving the confession of faith, and yet Jethro doesn't stop here. He expresses his faith publicly by offering a burnt offering and other sacrifices to the Lord by worshiping the Lord. And also joining Aaron and all the other elders of Israel, it says, in a meal that they eat together in the presence of God. Well, now they've all become friends, we think. I mean, have, sitting down and having a meal together. We'll say a little bit more about that. You see, we see here firsthand the mission of Israel in action as Moses shares the good news of the gospel and what God has done, and the spiritual leader of Midian embraces it wholeheartedly. And what we have here is the mission of God, Jew and Gentile coming together by a sacrifice to a meal in the presence of God. This is the climax of the Exodus. And in, in the Old Testament, New Testament, you see, a meal was very important. We were talking in our, in our life group this week. Somebody said, can you explain covenant a little bit? So I took them back to, to Genesis 15. Moses, I mean, Abraham, he's wondering, God, I know you've made this great promise to me of, you know, of a whole nation. I don't even have one son to my name. How do I know I'm getting older and older? How can I know? And in a vision, God gives him a vision, and he goes and he does a covenant ceremony. He tells Abraham to get a bunch of animals. And Abraham, you see, knows what to do with these animals. He cuts them in half. He would put them on a slope, and the blood from those animals would run down into the bottom of that. And in the covenant ceremony of that day, we have some of these from other ancient Near East, the parties would then walk through the blood, and they would say a curse formula. That is, they would say a commitment. They would say, may this happen to me, and more so if I do not keep my word, my promise. You know, we say signing a contract. Their language was, we cut a covenant. Everybody knew what that meant. In fact, in Jeremiah, God will, we will, he will say, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. There we get that history, that background. But what they did after they did the covenant is they would have a meal together. There's a reason why when we have a wedding that there's a meal following it. And it's not just because people are hungry. Most people don't get it. It's because now we have just heard a covenant and now we want to experience the blessing, the fruits of that covenant. And enjoy this meal together in one another's presence and in God's presence. 
So it is like the climax. And Jesus, when we go to the New Testament, he knew exactly what he was doing when he described what he was doing as the new and greater exodus that would rescue all people from slavery to sin and death. With his disciples at the Passover meal, he says, now this is the new covenant in my blood. He's cutting a new covenant. And the climax of the great exodus is what the last book of the Bible calls, the vision at the end, is the great supper of the Lamb. There's the highlight moment. People from every tribe and nation who have responded to God's invitation and put their faith in the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they will eat together in the presence of God. That's the climax of the story. That's the climactic moment. Now there's another story in this chapter as well. And the second story in this chapter features some fatherly advice. But just as the first story was far more than simply a family reunion, it wasn't less than that, but it was more than that, so too the second story is about far more than simply wise fatherly advice. The story begins rather naturally. It's the next day. Jethro's around. I'm going to see what Moses does at his day job, right? And uh, Moses gets back to work, and he's serving, it says, as judge for the people. Precisely what he's doing will be clarified, but it's immediately evident to Jethro that his son-in-law is putting in very long hours. And so are the people waiting in line to get their issue or their case heard. And it's a recipe for disaster. And Jethro knows it. But he's a wise mentor. For while he sees the problem, he's not sure that Moses does. So he does, what does he do? He asks some good leading questions. Like, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around from morning till evening? Moses' response clearly conveys the importance of the pastoral work that he is doing. He is helping people discover and do God's will. He is helping people to resolve their disputes. He is teaching them God's ways. This is so important. He's got to be doing it from sunup till sundown. This is very important work. Too important not to give his time and attention to. And Jethro, too, knows this is good work, God work. But he also knows that what Moses is doing is not good because it is not sustainable, not for himself, not for the people. Now, Moses could have justified what he was doing, could have quoted the Bible verse that says, but it says, let us not become weary in doing good. Okay, because if we persist, you know, and don't give up, you know, there's going to be great at the end. Or he could say, Jethro, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Or Moses could have got some popular wisdom of the day and he could have said, it's better to burn out than rust out. I have heard all of these. I grew up hearing great missionary stories. People who sacrificially gave their lives to do God's work around the world. People like Bob Pierce, 
who witnessed firsthand the horrors of the Korean War and its effect on children. And deeply moved, Bob Pierce wrote in his Bible a famous prayer, God, let my heart be broken by the things that break your heart. And in his lifetime, Bob Pierce established two great Christian caring ministries, World Vision and Samaritan's Purse. Billy Graham called Pierce a champion of the little people, the forgotten, the hurting people. But that was only part of the story. What I only discovered years later was the terrible toll Bob's single-minded devotion took on his wife and kids. Being away from them 10 months a year and keeping his bags often packed even while he was home for the time that he was was not conducive to a good marriage. When his kids reached out to him from afar and begged him to come home, he often didn't come. One of his daughters, in response, took her life, and his marriage broke. You see, what was happening to his family was surely breaking God's heart too, was it not? But he was unable to see it or hear it without the help and wisdom that Moses received and took to heart. Now, I have read ancient and modern commentators who have been who are deeply disturbed that Moses took advice from a Gentile. Even a number of Protestant reformers found it a problem to explain why Moses should have uh, bothered with practical advice when he had direct divine communication. Moses was the goat, the greatest of all time in the prophets, right? But others... Other interpreters, as far back as St. Augustine, saw great benefit in Jethro's advice. And that Moses was right to recognize a wise plan as being from God, however it may have originated. That is, from a Midianite and from the marketplace. I mean, this is how military groups were, were formulated. I think what we have here is a very important story that brings together the importance of the wisdom tradition that we have in the Bible. Some we call it God's general revelation, proverbial wisdom revealed in creation, and also the special revelation that God will give to his people through Moses on Mount Sinai immediately following this. And I think the story is saying both originate with God. All truth is God's truth. Whatever the human source may be, and both are gifts that God gives to his people and to the world for flourishing. And so we do well to take note of the details also of Jethro's advice, to share the work with others through careful selection, teaching, and training. Notice in verses 20 and 21. Teach them. So he's supposed to choose people and teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave, these leaders. Select capable men from all the people who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate dishonest gain. They won't take bribes. They'll give you the honest truth 
and appoint them as officials at different levels. And notice also his final caveat in verse 23. If you do this and God so commands, okay, you will be able to stand the strain and the people will go home satisfied. It will work. It will achieve God's purposes for your life. So is it good with God? Is it good for the people? Then go for it. The timing, actually, of this gift of wisdom could not have been better for what happens next. Because God's laws will now be written down. And how are you going to now also make sure that everybody knows God's will and God's law? That you aren't just, uh, you know, governed by whatever the people in power think is right, or whoever has the most money and, and buys their way to get a right decision. No. Right? You have a way of disseminating the wisdom of God to all the people. All through small groups, we would say, right? And these administrative and leadership changes, this collaborative model, will enable Moses to pastor and lead and teach the people God's wisdom and ways and create a society governed by the rule of law, which is a tremendous gift we often take for granted. Often we hear in the news all the things the church and Christianity has done wrong. There are some things we have done wrong. And there's other things we just, they're so big, we just take them for granted. And one is the rule of law. That's where it came from. And it's a tremendous gift. The justice is not simply God's responsibility or a particular leader's responsibility. It is also the work and responsibility of the community. That's. And God is preparing the community to be able to live this new life in a new land uh, with a whole new community that reflects God's kingdom and his kingdom ways. Well, a couple of lasting impressions, I think. For me, one is just to take time to praise and thank God for the gifts you have received. I told you what I think is the greatest gift in this chapter, but there are a lot of great gifts in this chapter, right? Family, father-in-law, yes, in-laws, great gifts, absolutely. And other things to thank, the wise counsel that comes to us at just the right time. Praise and thank God for the gifts you have received. I was thinking about this early this morning while I couldn't quite sleep and thinking about how would I answer that opening question, the greatest gift? And I had thought of an other answers, but during the week. And then, but what struck me this morning as I was thinking about that was the gift that my parents gave of sending me to Bible school for a year. They said, we'll pay for it if you go. I was going to go to take engineering, had a scholarship to go to University of Manitoba. And yet, I gave that up to go to Bible school, and there I got into the Word of God like I had never got before. And I heard God in ways I had never heard Him before. It began to totally change the direction of my life. What a great gift. I'm thanking God for that one today. And secondly, pray for the gifts that you the gifts that we need. Pray for them. 
And thirdly, be prepared to share the gifts you have received with others. Pay it forward. We use that line sometimes, but share those with others. If Moses had just kept that good news to himself, you know, he shared that. And it just, that gift kept going and sharing. And also acknowledge, be prepared to share the gifts we have received with others. And I think acknowledging both their immediate and ultimate source. It is important, I think, that he says, you know, this great wisdom, this system, (laughs) this administrative system that helped share the load and to teach all of God's people, it came from outside of Israel. It came from a convert to Israel. It came from a Gentile, and it was God's gift to us when we desperately needed it. It was from there, and it was ultimately, though, God's, sharing the immediate and ultimate source. Giving credit is given to Moses for sharing the good news, to Jethro for sharing good wisdom, and to God as the source of all of those. And to share, I think, also stories of God's provision. That's one of the ways that we can can share those gifts as well with others. Uh... We're going to pray in a moment and invite the, the worship team to come up. And I, and I just take time to, to praise and thank God for the gifts. Take time to, to pray for the gifts that you and we need. And to be open to sharing the gifts of others. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we think over our lives there, and as I heard the sharing going on early, Lord, there is a lot of good gifts that you have given You are a great giver. And we thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you give. Lord, we also recognize, just as the Israelites did, that we can't live on yesterday's manna. There's things that we need to do ministry, to carry on the Lord. The place that you have given us here is is really important. It doesn't do ministry by itself, but it is a place where so much ministry has and continues to take place that changes people's lives. Lord, you know our needs financially, but Lord, also for raising up ministry leaders, whether it's for uh, new youth sponsors, children's ministry, small group leaders and teachers. Lord, worship leaders. Lord, we know that you are the God who provides and we ask that you would. And Lord, we also pray that you would give us opportunities to share those gifts. Often it is when we are, have the chance to share something that we have re- something good we have received with others, Lord, it doubles. Um, it doubles the blessing. And so, Lord, we pray for those opportunities as well. Amen. Thank you, all of you, for, uh, for leading us in worship this morning. I have to say one thing to you, Bob. Just the clapping, I, I'm not always rhythmically uh, right on there, but I know sometimes Bob, Bob, when he claps, when he doesn't have the guitar in his hand, he likes to go like this, you know, like you do in the stadium or some people are going to be doing, you know, this afternoon. And uh, for me, that, that's been one of those moments where it's like, yes. Yes, that's how much I want to praise you, God. Full-bodied, right? Praise to God.
If you would like prayer, uh, I know Pastor Yosef will be available here up at the front and would love to take time to be able to pray for you and with you and encourage you to do that. And uh, also, if you'd like to stick around, have some coffee, some goodies. I wasn't going to have coffee this morning or a cookie, but then, you know, Annie had made fresh cookies and the coffee was on. And just, yeah, just go and enjoy yourself and you can thank them uh, at, the, uh, at there. And just enjoy the opportunity and perhaps you want to continue that earlier conversation of what's the greatest gift maybe God has given you uh, recently or a gift that you need. And uh, don't hesitate to pray. If you're in the midst of a conversation and God, and God nudges you, why don't you just do a short prayer for them? Do it. Do it. Right? Let us go and uh, serve our great God. Amen. Amen.